I'm there. Got the chipmunk? No, no chipmunk. Okay, what happened? 7272. Scuba Obsessed, the weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba news. Obsessed episode 272 is recorded live February 4th, 2016. Welcome back to Scoob Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan, where I don't even know what to call this weather. Joining me this week, we have Mac, the dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm doing very well, enjoying the moderate temperatures, considering we woke up with a little snow, and then rain, and then just a generally wet day. Was it Sunday or Monday night where we had the downpour, the deluge? We had thunder and lightning and all that was, mon- that was Monday, I think it was, because I, I was driving home and I saw lightning out in the field. Yeah. And I can remember maybe one or two times where we've had a thunderstorm in February. I've had thunder snow before, but we don't have any snow, so. No, we, we didn't have that. But it I don't know how many inches of rain we had, but if that had been snow, we'd had a few feet. Well, you did see the spike in the river turbidity that I posted. Actually, if it, was that on Facebook? Yes, it was. <laughs> yeah, the, the place where I've got 97 notices if, if you're looking at it it's like on the bottom and all of a sudden it goes right to the roof and you're saying why did that increase it's because we had that freaking much rain in a very short period of time yeah. and all the sewage and overflows dumped into the river and turbidity went right to hell yeah and we didn't have ice to keep the rivers slow and have it set off someplace else well let's go ahead and jump right on into the news some of you are going to get the podcast a little bit out of whack. I've been running a little behind on editing, so it's going to the timeline out there is going to be a little bit different than we're used to. Hopefully get back in the swing of things. This one is from The Nation. and I, I Just from the name of the places, I think it's Thailand. Uh, it says the, the Krabby Regional Port Office officials yesterday demarcated areas to be reserved for scuba diving at various attractions of South Province Ko Phi Phi Archipelago. Is that Ko Phi Phi or Ko PP or something? I'm not sure. I'd say Pi Pi. Pi Pi. To prevent accidents, this is following Wednesday's accidents where a speedboat propeller severed a Russian Russian tourist's leg and seriously injured his diving instructor. Officials, along with police and related agencies, also find two scuba instructors' boats, 5,000 bats, each for failing to present the instructor's license on board and for using the boat for a different purpose than which it was registered for. Wow, could you imagine not being able to use a boat for something else? Well, I thought the interesting part about that is they were snorkeling. I, got, I went and did a little search while you were out. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm looking at the boats, and they're pretty nice-looking boats, but the guy that hit them um, looks like a very large twin-engine boat. Mm-hmm. But it said one of the men identified as a 30-year-old Russian national obviously was hit by that propeller. Mm-hmm. And the second man, who was 48, got injuries to his legs. Uh, I'm trying to get the other aspect. 
the boat operator who is 27 years old would be charged with recklessness, reckless driving. Yeah, causing serious injuries. Yes. Well, he was ferrying the boat or driving the boat that had 30 passengers on it when he struck the two men in the, in the water. Doesn't say anything if they had dive flags or anything like that, though. That's 27. Well, it's, it's, I mean, it seems young. I mean, you don't see that many young boat captains over here, at least well, I've noticed. I'm quite sure what the rules and regs are. I don't know. Well, what's sort of funny here, I went to the Russian site, and it said uh, their condition is good, and we're holding off on interrogation. But it says, last, last month, a French woman died from being struck in the head by a boat while snorking it in the same place. And three others, uh, foreign tourists, have died so far this year in swimming-related accidents, not even diving. Uh, the Plecut Gazette reported a Chinese tourist died Tuesday while snorkeling, uh, in the islands about 12 kilometers from this area. So that's a very poor place to be diving or, or snorkeling or swimming. You, you know, kind of like where you go to other countries and their driving laws are a little different. It must be the same thing with boats, that people are just, you get in a boat and you go all out wherever you're going, and they just haven't got, do they say anything if these divers were or snorkelers had a flag? No, that doesn't. I was looking for pictures. I just found a much bigger one over here, and it's hard to see. But it looks like there's an inner tube in the water. But that could be after the fact. Mm -hmm. But it really doesn't say, and it's like I tried to believe that. Yeah, because you would think that they they should have a flag, which even a reckless boater would hopefully try to avoid. Um, Yeah, I'm not looking. I'm looking at a couple other places, and uh, and none of them does say anything about you know. Uh, having dive flags or anything like that, or even if they're required. Yeah. Well, that's unfortunate. They're, they're taking some action, but with the number of accidents they had, I don't know if that's going to be enough. Oh, well, I just looked at how much that was. Let me go back to it real quick. What, 5,000 bats? Um, that's probably, yeah. what, about $400? No, it wasn't even that much. Oh. <laughs> I'm trying to find it because it was like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, I remember when, because it used to. $139. because it wasn't, I mean, for them it may be a lot if you're a local, but, you know, here it's not much. No, $139. Wow. Yeah. I'll make my own flag if I go there. Flag? I I, I want a a hard hat and armor. Uh, Then here's here's one of the articles that you (laughs) brought up, uh, removing 1,417 cars from a, and a ship sunk from the bottom of the sea. The MV Baltic Ace collided with a container ship on 2012, or in 2012, on its way from Belgium to Finland. Just at 15 minutes, the world lost 11 sailors, 1,417 Mitsubishis, and an almost brand new ship, only to end up with additional problems and clean the seabed without spilling too much oil in the North Sea. Uh, the Baltic Ace was laid down in 2007 and Poland, only to meet a sudden death five years later in the busy shipping lanes off the Dutch coast south of Rotterdam. Since it sank with 540,000 liters of oil on board, despite being insured for only 55 million, 73 million had to be spent on the salvage operation. Dutch companies uh, Boskalis and Mammoth Salvage could only work from March to October every year due to the weather. Starting the actual cleanup in May 2014, the team ended up cutting the wreckage into eight pieces after investigating the hull, removing 13,000 tons of metal and most of fuel while battling the waves. They finished two months before schedule in October 2015. 
Wow, what is that? Oh, that's the ship. Yeah, they cut it in the mini sections when they brought it up. Wow, that is, and they brought it. That's upside down, isn't it? Yeah. Wow, I, I didn't picture it would draw that much water. It must be to offset the weight of the vessel of, the, of all the cars on it being high. I was hull. trying to figure out how deep the water was for them to get that up so quick. Well, it seems, you know. Uh, okay, I have a picture of it. I'll send to you. As it was sinking, this is cool. Oh, uh, let's see. Copy a location wherever my other item went. Um, and see if that got to you. Wow, that's a it's like a laid over on its side. Yeah, it's like really shallow. So I, that makes sense why they could cut it up like that. And that back in the back, that's got to be where the engines and stuff were. You can see the the one who is laying on the side. You mm-hmm. can see that same profile and the screws on it. And the one they're bringing up doesn't have the screws on it. Yeah. And man, she rode high though. Uh, do the clicker and that'll be running down the river. She's not drafting a lot of water. It doesn't look like it. And then if you look at the bat, uh, third, third one in, it looks I'm like. Only, I've only got one photo. Say what? I only got one photo. There's, and there are clicks on both sides of it? No, it just showed me the one photo with it laying over sideways. Because I'm looking at the back end of it and it looks like a, a roll on, roll off ship. Mm-hmm. So by when it turned like that, it damaged every every vehicle in that. You oh know, yeah, yeah, because they try and secure them down, but it can't handle that degree of turning. Oh yeah, because it's, it's amazing those ships how high in the water they run. That, yeah. and, the, and again, that must be why that hull was is quite the way it is. Uh, if you get this picture now, do you see it? Oh yeah, it wasn't deep at all. No, not deep enough though, huh? Yeah, well, deep enough for it to sink, but. Heck, as a scuba diver, that'd been a blast, wouldn't it? Yeah, but can you imagine the entrapment hazards in that sucker? Oh, ton of them. And I'm curious why they lost so many people. Seemed like you might have had some good air bubbles in there. I don't know. Uh, I mean, it could be crew couldn't swim. It could be crushing damage. I mean, were they on the decks and things went slamming? I'll show you another picture real quick. I know the people out there. What the heck are they talking about? (laughs) See it? But uh, that makes for great radio. <laughs> yeah, great radio. Uh, now I can't find my Skype. It disappeared. I can't find my Skype, so I can send you something. There you go. Take a look at those pieces. Wow, that's something else. Now, how do you chunk something like that? Are they are they going down there? You think with a torch? Oh, big time! And just wow. Yeah. Okay, I'm looking at the back end of the boat now. That makes a lot more sense of how this floats. Because it didn't have a huge draft, and that's why I expected it to be deep. That's interesting. Oh, right. That makes a lot of sense. And I sent it to you also so you can see what I'm talking about. This time I think it sent a... Uh, yeah, I've, I've seen that. Mitsubishi is famous for these boats. Because I think they actually Mitsubishi makes these boats. They're, yeah. uh, I think they're, they have a marine division that makes boats like these. And you're right. That is a pure drive-on type of setup. But I can see how they got it done so quickly. On December 5th, 2012, the car carrier Baltic Ace collided with the container ship. Sorry about that. <laughs> but by the same token, I, it seems like they could have salvaged all that oil and stuff really, really quick, or a large percentage of it. You would think so. At that depth, you could... Yeah, just poke a hole in one of the sides there and start sucking that stuff out. Well, then part of it is, before anybody does any salvage work, they're probably saying, okay, who's paying for this? 
And it wouldn't take an insurance company too long to say, hey, wait a minute. The amount of insurance isn't going to even begin to cover this. Yeah. We'll cover the contents, but the rest of it you're on the hook for. Let's see. What's our next one? We got uh, Florida Panhandle. So what's this one about? Is this just uh, somebody well, talking about their... frogfish? Oh, is that what you were interested in? That's what that ugly thing in front of you is. Uh, striated frogfish. And then they've... So it's the photos is what you were going for? Well, it said geography isn't the only reason destination is popular for Midwest divers. Uh says... Truth is, Florida Panhandle, the region stretching from Tallahassee to Pensacola, offers ample underwater attractions, natural and man-made. So they're basically saying tons and tons of ships along that whole line. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're talking, they're saying 40 known shipwrecks accessible to divers from World War One battleship to minesweepers, freighter, and tugboats. Yeah, they, there's quite a bit down there. Yeah. Well, it's like we already said. If we have good shipwrecks, you have people. People will come. Right. And people will spend their money. And the yes. more that you have, the more people they'll come because they won't hit each of the wrecks. Yeah, and they've they've tried to put together a, a shipwreck trail to where you're able to. Right. Sense. And on this one here, they give you an itinerary that if you want to do one, you know, day one, they tell you where to go. And they, it's like a three-day trip even. And it's like, man, I'd like to be on half of these. And I bet I know what you can go to in the next few weeks that will have most likely the tourism agency for this location let me let me think here got my fingers to the screen and it's somewhere in illinois yeah so our world underwater which i think half the dive show is is tourism now and a good part of that's for sure i wonder if they're going to have my mermaids here this year again you can hope i do hope are you going by the way since we're sort of talking about that oh let's see did i add the link i got to find out what the date is it's in February, nor is it March. Uh, we have two items this month. Out the double. Looking check. at the event calendar from the club, it says February the twentieth is the Great Lakes Festival in Ann Arbor, and our world is the week after February twenty sixth through the twenty eighth. You know, I may be able to do that one. The other one, I don't know. It's uh, I'm still going to be working on the robotics build with my kids. So. Mm-hmm. But that that uh, the lockdown is three weeks away, so I think that's the twenty fourth. That is that is the twentieth Saturday. Yeah, yeah. I'm probably gonna. It's a, it's gonna be when we're pulling all nighters at that point, trying to get everything all finished. Yeah, uh, because Ann Arbor's only at one day, mm-hmm. and our world goes from Friday to Sunday. Well, you figure the day is it the it'll be the sixth this weekend. Mm-hmm. You got Super Bowl Sunday. We're not sure if we're doing the ice dive yet. Then you got the thirteenth, which we'd like to do something. And the twentieth is already Great Lakes. Yep. And the week after is our world. Our world, and probably I think isn't that NASCAR starts by then? Isn't Not Wednesday, sure. Wednesday Daytona. I, I couldn't tell you. Now my wife probably could tell me, but I. <laughs> and then you had go ships in March. I'm looking up the date now. I didn't realize uh, Tony Stewart broke his back. Yes, I read it. On a, yeah, he did that in a off road vehicle. Wasn't a car wreck from racing around either. Of course, you go to the Daytona Speedway, you would think they have something on the race. No. <laughs> uh, schedule. Okay, here's the schedule. Uh, oh, my. This schedule's... So we stick with scuba diving. Daytona 500 is Sunday, February 21st. 
Oh, what, on what date? Sunday, February 21st at 1 p.m. Oh, my goodness. I always associate that with the beginning of summer. <laughs> yeah, it's it's usually like the last weekend in February. It seems a little early this year. Well, I know down in the Carolinas, when you have uh, Easter, it's summer. Yeah, well, I think Easter's uh, early this year, too. Well, it's March 27th. Yeah, so we've still got a little bit that's, of time. That's a full well, month and a half yet. Easy month and a half. Then you have an article, Dawn of the Submarine. Uh, German U-9 sank three British cruisers in 90 minutes on September 22nd, 1914. That was an interesting, it's an older article, but it still had some really interesting pictures. And again, you're talking submarines and ships, you know, military ships. Mm -hmm. What a place to die. Oh, that'd be beautiful. Because you look at the, in the photos, you're, you're getting ships, well, just, the turn of the century industrial is you had such you could have a sailing vessel you could have a steel ship with sails on it and then you could have a steam powered ship and then you had submarines so there's just a little bit of everything and then looking at the sub <clears throat> excuse me the submarine that looks a lot like the uc-97 that sank in lake michigan oh, okay so you're looking at it wow we have one similar to that in our own lake yeah boy there's a whole thing right there imagine what you could do if that was in a diveable depth oh man you know if money talks somebody needs to go and say hey let's lift this put it at 150 feet well i know the three cruisers are sunk just a few miles off the coast of the netherlands now what how depth you know how deep that is i don't recall i was going to take a quick look here but if you look to that whole article you've got some terrific old old photos of of the battle of the cruisers and stuff, and it's, they're just awesome to look at. Yeah, I I I, I go for that. Yeah, uh, constant depth is fourteen phantoms. Okay, so phantoms defeat. Uh, phantoms what six feet? I think so. That's less than that's oh, ninety feet. Yeah, eighty four feet. Yeah, fathom is fourteen fathoms is eighty four feet. Yeah, so 90 feet. Yep. Fathom is six feet. Yep. That's all. That's perfectly diveable. I just don't know how much that has been dove. It'd be interesting. I didn't see any any other uh, information on did people dive it or not. A lot of times it, it diving can be restricted because of just the traffic. It's it's too much traffic goes through the area, or they just don't have a long dive season. You know, cold weather, waves may play a factor in it. Mm-hmm. But it's quite interesting, and to me, as a diver, you'd love to be able to go there and take a look at that stuff. Yeah. Then you have another one. This one's from October of last year. Article talks about in February 1948, distress, distress calls were picked up by numerous ships near Indonesia from a Dutch freighter, SS Orang Medan. The call was, all officers, including captain, are dead, lying in chart room and bridge, possibly whole crew dead. The message was followed by indecipherable Morse code and one final grisly message, I die. Ooh, it gives you the, the chills, doesn't it? Well, you've seen some of the movies about items like this where the guy goes out to salvage the boat and gets on it, and it's got all sorts of ghosts on it and stuff. Mm -hmm. So it is a little freaky to say the least. Yeah. So the first rescue vessel arrived on the scene a few hours later, uh, but there's no response to their hand or whistle signals. Boarding party was sent to the ship where they found was a frightening sight that made up the Orang Medan, one of the strangest, scariest goat ship stories of all times. When Silver Star crew located and boarded the apparently undamaged vessel, 
The ship was littered with corpses, including the carcass of a dog sprawled on their backs, faces frozen upturned to the sun with mouths gaping open, eyes staring. Dead bodies resembled horrible caricatures. With no survivors and no visible signs of injury on the dead bodies, when nearing the bodies of, in the boiler room, the resulting crew felt a chill, though the temperature was 110 degrees. Decision was made to tow the ship back to port, but before they could get it away, the smoke began rolling up from the hull. The rescue crew left the ship, barely had time to cut the tow lines before it exploded and sank. And you see the one picture of one of the persons on the deck? Uh-huh. It looks like they're frozen, doesn't it? It does. So one of those mysteries of the, in this case, not the deep. Well, it blew up, so there's something going wrong. But doesn't that make you wonder what was on that ship? Yeah, it sounds like a the like a Clive Cussler novel. Like oh, it does, doesn't that? Yeah, you know, he would start off with that, and it would sink, and then fast forward to now, and they would figure out what was going on. Yeah, it was full of soaring gas, and it yeah. killed the crew. Well, it would be like a, a a laser space weapon that they were testing, and it had uh, backfired, and instead of projecting forward, it zapped everybody on board. Well, I I went and looked up a. Uh, you know, sort of research the ship just to find out. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those items that what they're reading is not really what it might have been. Uh, it says, truthfulness of the story suggesting the ship may never have actually existed, but has become something of a legend. So the pictures and the other ones makes you wonder what it was. They said theories of it, because they some people believe it was uh, actual, said unsecured hazardous material cargo, Second one was carbon monoxide poisoning. And the third least approval is paranormal phenomena. And it goes back to, to newspaper reports in the 40s on this issue, uh, plus a reference, the earliest known reference in 1952 mm-hmm. uh, from the proceedings of the Merchant Marine Council. So they they can't really say it's 100% true, but they, they can't say it's not true. So whatever it was, it made it into the press, press as a story. Yes. So there's some people thinking that this was fabricated, which you're, well, 40s, yeah. I mean, uh, I consider, you know, the, the yellow journalism to really be before then, but I guess it could happen. Well, they're saying this happened 400 miles southeast of the Marshall Islands. And then there's a, there's other articles that were published afterwards about two crew members that were found by missionaries and natives on the uh, Tolds and Marshall Islands itself. And it said, the men said they were carrying a badly stowed cargo of sulfuric acid and that most of the crew perished because of the poisonous fumes expo- escaping from the containers. Huh. Yeah. So you, if, you, it, if you look at some of the skepticism, one of the things is, is saying that it, was, it never made it in the Lloyd's shipping register, which is considered to be a pretty good source. Yeah, but by the same token, if she's not insured, why is she going to be in Lloyd's? Well, you wouldn't be. I don't think you would be. I don't think Lloyd's, unless they would document it just to say, well, if that gets lifted, we're not covering it. Huh. The paranormal uh, phenomena is a good one, too. Uh, the stories appeared in various magazines and books, beginning with a 1953 article in Fate magazine. Authors such as Jesse Jessup speculate that the crew might not have been attacked by you, might have been attacked by UFOs or paranormal forces prior to their death. Ah. Circumstantial evidence cited by the sources include the absence of natural cause of death, the reportedly terrified expressions on the faces of the deceased, and rumors some of the dead were pointing towards an unknown enemy, like the one we saw, had the hand raised. Okay. Aliens. It's always better with aliens. 
<laughs> Let's see, what else do we got? Underwater footage provides clues to container ship sinking during Hurricane Jocelyn. Yeah, this is the one everybody can tell why a current state-of-the-art type ship, well, I shouldn't say current state-of-the-art, but a, a good ship, one would deliberately go in, in the in t- towards the hurricane, and then how it could just suddenly disappear and the beacons on it not go off. Right. They couldn't find the black boxes. Yeah, container ship El Faro was hauling cars, groceries, and other products needed in Puerto Rico when it met its demise during Hurricane Jocelyn. The, Na- the National Transportation Safety Board is searching for wreckage in hope of finding clues to the ship's last moments. Oh, and my computer just crashed. Oh. Well, 33 crew members on board the El Faro were lost when the ship went down as it grew into a Category 4 storm, making it one of the deadliest maritime accidents in the past 60 years. Uh, the NTSB's best shot at investigating the events that led to the wreck is locating the ship's black box, which up until this point they have not located, or they, they had not located. Uh, they located the ship October the 31st. And then some of the wreckage they took, the pictures, mm-hmm. are, are just traumatic. I mean, how could something just rip that ship apart like that? And then after they were looking around for it a little while later, they did find the deck that was ripped off. And that box is gone. Oh, where the where it would be? Where where it was actually bolted to the deck, because that section of the deck of their ship was ripped completely off the boat. Hmm. And it was not a small size of the deck. Now the interesting part is this is sitting in fifteen thousand feet of water. That's that's uh, again, like we said last week, a little deeper than recreational diving depth. Ah, uh, yeah, just a little bit, just a little bit. Yeah, what's and a, de- a deco time at 15,000? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'd take a while. They said the, the stern good... was buried in over 30 feet of sediment. So you can, that you figure the impact. Yeah, well, kind of like uh, Ann Arbor 5, and that was only in 150 feet. Imagine what kind of momentum you build at 15,000. So yeah, that yeah. is at least 100 times deeper. Oh. That could have been like a missile. Taking a look at the video, though, is really interesting. It, I mean, the wreckage and, and uh, how, how badly it's torn up. Again, some of it you wonder how much happened as it was going down to the depth and crushed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you if if it's a case of where a wave went over it and it just never came up out the other side, then, you know, air and compression, things would just be destroyed. Well, what they figure is they lost their engines, went broadside, rolled it. Yeah, but then, then again, like you pointed out, you know, why were they heading into a storm in the first place? Most modern ships tend to try and avoid. Yeah. And I suppose to me, if I were doing that and I'm in a bad hurricane, I would probably not be down in the below decks as much as I, as possible. I'd probably put my, my Gumby suit on. Yes. And I'd be ready to abandon ship, especially when it got that bad and the engines were out. Oh, yeah. When you, when you hear the engines out, then, yeah, that's, uh, so I would think, you know, you're 30 miles from shore, but if you put the Gumby suit on, they're going to find your body. Yeah. Now, did they have it? Did they find any bodies? Did they say they did not say they found anything? Yeah, I'm I'm guessing that uh, it was probably quick. Like you said, it could have been they lost power. But well, the understanding they did radio. They had lost power. Oh, they did radio. And you know how it is when you're out there in a storm and the waves are coming. Oh yeah, got no power. That boat goes sideways. You 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 can't believe how much something can rock. Yeah. And they did have a Facebook site, and if you'd gone there, there's all sorts of pictures uh, back when it happened. 
Then you've, you've got one here. The warship that fired the first shots of World War II was captured, twice scuttled, raised, and served four different nations, and still is in service. And that is interesting because just look at the picture of that guy. Yeah, he, he's in uh, what, like a, one of the original Doughboy type of suits there. Yes, and the, and the way the cannons are. Oh, stand yeah, just like a turrets. round steel cylinder with a large bore gun on it. And no freeboard. No. No, this is from, uh, It's uh, what we're talking about is the SMS Bodrog floating in, uh, the was it Dan, Dan Bue in 1914? Yep. Uh, they said, stuck in the mud in a muddy river somewhere in Serbia lies an old derelict gravel barge rusted and useless and over 100 years old as a limited heritage protection from the Serbian government due to its history and represents and helped make. For much of the last century, the ship has been called Seva, named after the river which joins the long Danbu and Belgrade capital Serbia. But once it was a mighty beast that patrolled the Danbu for the Austro-Hungarian Empire, fitted with elite armament and fired the first shots that began World War I. It was the river monitor SMS Bodrog. Look at that, that anchor in the front. I, this is interesting because it's, it's not common that I, we see a lot of uh, foreign... Navy vessel, especially at this time, because this is when innovation was trying to happen. So it's a kind of a copy and mishmash of different Navy and, styles. And she was really small. She was 189 feet in length, a beam of 9.5 meters, and sucked up about four foot of water, her draft was. And name was changed to, to uh, save on April 15, 1920. It became the vessel of the... KSCS, Kingdom of Serbs, Croats, and Slovenians, later to be called Kingdom of Yugoslavia Navy, changed with the help being defend the Dan, the Dan, I'm saying Danube, but it's D-A-N-U-B-E in both world wars. The war machine has a long history of service before it was eventually refitted for industrial use in the 1960s. Yeah, 100, 189 feet by a beam of 31 feet, drew about four foot of water, displacement was 440 tons. It must be a good design for the river to still be in use, even as a barge. Correct. Because they said, what, 2014? Yeah. It was still in service as a gravel barge. In 2005, the government government of uh, Siberia granted her limited heritage protection after citizens demanded she preserved, be preserved as a floating museum. Uh, but little else has been done to restore her. Yeah, it takes money. Yeah. And I'm sure that she was not treated well all those years. Yeah. Well, you figure the guns she had, those were two 120-millimeter guns with a 10-kilometer range, a 120-millimeter howitzer on a central pivot, and then two 37-millimeter cannons or guns. So, But it was an interesting-looking vessel to begin with. And to still be doing something, you know. Do you look at the course of that river where that goes? They, they show in the photo, if you go to the second page. That starts, you know, in southern Germany and goes all the way to the Black Sea. Yeah, almost to France, all the way over. Yeah, that's a that's a long river. Well, shallow draft like that, so she can do that. Well, rivers and canals. She's got a long, long history. A hundred years old. Yeah, yeah. We've got a few of those on the Great Lakes still. They're they're refitting one uh, right now. It was a self-propelled ship, and now it's being uh, turned into a uh, barge. What was that one? Uh, we've covered it before. It was famous for. Uh, routinely getting stuck in the Chicago River when the drawbridges were up. Oh, I remember the one, but I can't think of the name of it I either. I can't either. Then you got Is that the one that just got turned over to Belle Isle? No. No, the Belle Isle one's a little different. This one is uh, uh, 
they were they were trying there was some permitting process they were trying to get done and it didn't quite happen so i think what they're going to do is uh they're turning it into a barge but it was well over 100 years old the vessel itself and they were just gonna you know there was gonna, it's gonna be one of those barges where the uh tugboat pulls into it and they chain it down and then that drives it around yeah seems to be kind of the trend now 12 underwater discoveries that will make your jaw drop. This one's from the Daily Dish. Well, I always think they're a little bit, um, you know, they're not quite to make your jaw, your jaw drop. Uh-huh. But they're interesting wrecks I wouldn't mind looking at. Yeah. And it starts out with, what, at the Orskine? Well, that's actually the seventh one. If you go backwards, you're, you're looking at the seventh one. It starts, the very first one is the F4U Corsair. Yep, I see. I got Sur- you. Yeah. Submerged war war two plane ran out of fuel, and a quick thinking pilot changed directory, land the ocean. Pilot was able to free himself from the plane before it sank and survived the crash. But that that's neat because we've seen this one before. These are famous photos, just kind of all compiled together. But right, and they're nice to look at and say, oh, "Well, I wouldn't mind being there." Well, that one. I mean, how many times do you see the prop still on and the prop hit the water? You can see it all bent and mangled. Yeah, we're still turning. Yep, and then they have that uh, Egyptian. City, the lost city of Herculon. Her- Herculon? Yeah, yeah, I think so. It looks interesting. Awful dark and deep. It looks. I don't know how deep they are. I'm guessing that the visibility is typically so bad. Kind of like the Cooper River is the reason I'm thinking it's that dark. But well, I like the part where it says "stumble upon the ruins by accident." Yeah, you have to be diving to stumble across them by accident. And I don't know what else he was doing. Then they have the Ghost Fleet, the World War II era. 40 vehicle, vehicles near Chuck Lagoon. Yeah, it's always here when they have a skull and a gas mask by it. Yeah, it, it, that works. And we've covered the Sculpture Park before. Yeah, Cancun, Mexico. They keep adding to it, from what I understand. I wonder what caused all the turbulence around it. I think they're dropping that platform is what it was. Ah, okay. I think they're bringing another section down. I guess it's not a platform. They look to be cast about seven or eight of them at one piece. That. What is it? Ten thousand ton ferry sunk at the bottom mm-hmm. with all those vehicles on it. Yeah, I, I wonder how deep that was because that looks like salvageable parts. You know what I mean? Yeah, especially if you're you bring that stuff up when it was early. I mean, the tires, the rims, the engines, mm-hmm. parts and pieces. Man, you could get your money back. Yeah, nineteen eighties still sits there today. And then that underwater river, I love that photo. It's got to be one of my favorites. Yeah, when you see that guy off in the left-hand corner about the 9 o'clock position, it's like, whoa. Yeah, just the scale of it. Yeah. Optical illusion caused by a cloud of hydrogen sulfide interacting with the salt water. I wonder if your suit stinks when you get out. Then the USS Oriskany. Oriskany. The battleship saw, oh, that's the one down in Florida. Yeah. That's where it started. That looks like a lot of debris. And entanglement, so doesn't it? It does, and it's starting to get uh, you know, a nice layer of algae and growth on it. Now, this train graveyard—that sounds really cool. Nineteen eighty-five, archaeologists discovered a train graveyard off the coast of New Jersey with locomotives, train cars dating back to eighteen fifties. Not surprised New Jersey would waste them. Not surprised. I don't know. I don't understand their comment. Yeah. Uh, so they discovered it in eighty-five. So do they think that these are just their way of scrapping them? They just loaded them on? But they're on a barge. You don't normally scrap stuff with a barge attached to them, do you? I wouldn't think so. You'd want your barge back, maybe. Yeah. you're. Yeah, I'm thinking that this was a this is a wreck. We looked at that monument one next also off of Japan, mm-hmm. over 5,000 years old. 
Yeah, that's still not. levels have been really low and they've been really high. Well, this is one where I don't think they're really sure that this is structures either. Yeah, there's that debate because they're saying, well, it could have been natural forming, but yeah. there's normally not straight lines like that. But that is an awesome picture. It almost looks like a quarry, doesn't it? It does. With the shelves char- carved out. SS President Coolidge, the large ship sought seafaring days and after succumbing to the series of underwater mines. What is that? Is that like a decoration? I was trying to figure that out. I'm sort of looking at it sideways. It's... It looks like a, a stylized queen on a horse or something. Well, the SS President Coolidge was a U.S. luxury ocean liner, completed in 1931, operated by the Dollar Steamship Lines until 1938, served as a troop ship from 1941 to 42 when she was sucked by mines in the New Hebrews, Hebrides. Okay. It didn't say if she had troops on her when she sank, though. I didn't see that part. Yeah, so it must have been decoration on the vessel. And then they show a picture of the Titanic, but this has got to be an artist representation. I don't picture that being a, a photo or something stitched together. I don't know. They've been doing so much with the 3D now. It'd be hard-pressed to say. The ancient Chinese city. Now, this is one I would love to see. Chinese, uh, was it Quan De- Deo Lake is home to the ancient city where really isn't ancient at all since the city was purposely submerged by a construction company. The city can be ancient. Interesting. Yeah. Isn't ancient purposely submerged by a construction company? Let me go back real quick to the uh, the ship for a moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he hit the mine, he knew he was going to be losing the ship. He ran her aground, ordered the, shoot, uh, the troops to abandon ship. And over the next 90 minutes, 5,340 men got safely ashore. How many? 5,340. I see a picture of it here with everybody climbing down the sides. They were freaking lucky, weren't they? Oh, Only two casualties in the sinking. Oh, that is unbelievable. Right. The guy in the engine room killed by the first mine blast. Well, there's not much you can do to b- about that. So then the other one must have been an accident. You would think. Uh, the other the other fatality was um, a second. The Captain Elwood Joseph from the artillery got off the, the, the uh, ship, heard there was men in the infirmary who couldn't get out, went through one of the sea, sea doors, successfully rescued some of the men there, but couldn't get out himself and went down with the ship when it did sink. But... You know, 5,300 lived. That's amazing. Yeah. The SS Thistlegorm, British merchant ship which sunk in World War II in the Red Sea, contains everything from vehicles, motorcycles to ammunition and other weaponry. Look at the tire on that. That looks amazingly good condition. I was going to say, that looks pretty decent. And it's dark. must be fairly deep. Well, of course, she's, but she's not wearing a hood. Maybe it's just because it's enclosed. Take a look at that. I'm sending you something real quick. Mm-hmm. I can figure out where I just was so I can get back to it myself. Did you get it? That's a Facebook of that sunken ship, and it's got a blow-up on it that is really interesting and detailed. Oh. That's pretty cool. That is. Somebody did a nice job in documenting that. Yeah. It's a diver's hot spot. Okay. Another one for the bucket list. Oh, yeah. That's a nice one there. Thistlegorm. Yeah, that'd be a a real fun one to go look at. See, that's what we need in Michigan is one that looks like that. That'd be a great one. Now, what we need to do is find about a couple of dozen acres of the next item. Manganese balls. Yep. No one is quite sure how or why they form, but they can be just millimeters wide to watermelon sized. Now, they're worth money, aren't they? Uh, yeah. Because that's some of the uh, mining 
prospects have been based on that. Irish silver. Researchers in Ireland discovered this huge 61-ton haul from World War II era silver off the coast nestled in a British cargo ship. Now, I can handle 61 tons of silver. Yeah, this is the one I think uh, they're not mentioning it. They don't mention the ship, but I believe this is the one that, uh, oh, that uh, company uh, that I own stock in, Odyssey. Uh, I think they're the ones who salvaged this. I'm trying to remember the name of the vessel. It escapes me at the moment. And the Antikytheria. Ah, goodness. Uh, mechanism. If I don't think about it, I can pronounce it. Every time I see the word, it's so hard to pronounce. But that's the the advanced uh, timekeeping computer used to predict the movement of the moon and the stars dates back to somewhere between 100 and 205 BCE before Common Era. Antikythera. That was, they said they couldn't believe somebody had something like that that far, you know, that long ago. The intricacies of the mechanism. Yeah, I think with enough money and time, people come up with stuff. you got to remember, the geniuses back in those days, too. Yeah, uh, the br- human brain isn't that much different. Just the amount of free time you have to think has, I think, changed. Apollo 11 rockets, once thought to be lost to the ocean, they were discovered by sonar technology in the Atlantic, led by a team of researchers funded by Jeff Bezos of Amazon. And they've, re- I believe he's restored them, and he's got them in a museum. I'm not sure there's a lot of want or need for those. Uh, you've got some of that kind of stuff over at the uh, Air Zoo in Kalamazoo. Yeah, I mean, there were others. I think he, for him, part of it was because he's, he's also got a space agency that he funds. Yeah. And I think it was part of, uh, well, you know, rich person collecting things. And then you got that Canadian schooner, 1867, Big Tub Harbor in 1885, and only 10 feet of water. Novice divers can go searching its 100-year-old corridors. And that's one I think we've seen pictures of, the glass-bottom boats up there, mm-hmm. going across those. Blackbeard's Cannon. Yeah, we saw the. we talked about this when we had first got it up, remember? Yep. I like the part about millions of pounds of treasures myself. Along with millions of pounds of treasure. Yeah, I, I think there's a little bit of exaggeration going on there. Ancient Mediterranean Shipwreck. 2014, divers off the coast of Malta found the ancient Phoenician shipwreck with as many old pots and golden treasures still intact. Isn't that amazing how they gleam in the light? It does. Even on the bottom. Now, I wouldn't mind finding something like that in the river because the river bottom looks like that, but I haven't found any golden jewels and stuff like that down there yet. Now, he's looking. Go ahead. We could make this list, you know, if we found some. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We could be on there. Lake Michigan Stonehenge. Now, this is the first time I've actually seen this particular photo. Yeah. Prehistoric rock formations that contain engravings of a mastodon. That they photo say. can't be the same location, is it? I can think it is because look at all the uh, quaggas on it because that's exactly what you would have after this time. You wouldn't have rock. Well, I those are like, is that rock like that? Somebody stood up rock? That that's, that doesn't seem possible. That almost looks like like uh, ribs or beams to a ship, doesn't it? Yeah. I'm assuming they verify that it's rock. Well, if, if this is the same one we've been reading about, that had a different shot of the where they scraped the material off the side and looked at the carving, what could be, depending on what you want to call it. Right. And this is, again, shallow. What, 40, 45 feet? Uh-huh. But, again, it shows you the water table in Lake Mission goes up and down, people, and it ain't from global climate change. From us, anyway. Wow. Let's 
see. What else do we have coming up? El Nino Storms. The Sen Ship. Ah, and that one's off uh, California, isn't it? Car- Coronado, off of Car- Coronado. Yeah. So El Nino unearths the 1930 Sin ship wreckage in Coronado. This, from time to time, gets opened up during low tide. The remains of the SS Monte Carlo are visible. This is close to, uh, was it, Abnadia des Las Arneas. That must be someplace there. Uh, Joe Ditter, who has been studying the shipwreck for 30 years, was there to snap pictures of the record, the wreckage, which appears from time to time. It uh, sank on December 31st, 1936, breaking the ships from the mooring three miles from the shore. Two caretakers were rescued from the 300-foot boat on New Year's morning. It washed up on the beach. I like the part where they say people would go there, would go there to drink, gamble, and hire prostitutes. It was known as a pleasure palace, much to the displeasure of evangelists living in the area at the time. If an evangelist throughout San Diego County and Southern California devoted their whole sermons to sin ships. They let God go forth his wrath. And when it did break moorings and crash, they took the credit. <laughs> yeah, because the, the idea was that they could get far enough off coast that they were outside the jurisdiction. But you're trying to tell me that the, I mean, the only reason why those were able to is because politicians needed a place where they could go and drink. I suppose. Well, but the, the interesting part, I, I would say why you're still interested in it after 30 years is... He added, there are still rumors there are about $100,000 worth of silver dollars buried in the sand waiting to be found. You would think if there was that much silver potentially there, people would have already done it. I would be out there with my belly doctor. (laughs) Yeah, you could. After every freaking storm they had. Yeah, because you could come up with a pretty big sub-scans and other things just to figure out what's there. There's a lot of people on that. They're showing like some shots from a drone or a helicopter and... People are all over that wreck. Well, like you said, people have been messing with it for 30 years. Okay, and then we've got ancient waterfall discovered off. Did I did I miss skip one? Uh, Britain's British. Atlantis. Britain's Atlantis. Let's see if I get that. Maybe. Huge underworld sea world swallowed by the sea, 7,000 B.C. Okay, let me pull it back up. I think somehow I lost it. Doggerland was an area of land now beneath the northern sea. Damn global warming. Uh, connected Great Britain to mainland Europe during and after the last ice age. It was gradually flooded by rising sea levels around 6,500 to 6,200 BCE. Uh, geological survey suggested it was stretched from Britain's east coast to the Netherlands, the west coast of Germany, the peninsula of, Al- of uh, Jutland. Probably rich habitat with human habitation in the Mez... Mesolithic period, uh, although rising sea levels gradually reduced it to a low-lying island before final destruction, perhaps following a tsunami caused by the Storega Slide. The archaeological potential of this area was first discussed in early 20th century, but interest intensified in 1931 when commercial trawler operating between the sandbanks and shipping hazards of the Lehman Bank and Our Bank east of the Wash dredged up a barbed antler pointer that dated to the time when the area was tundra. Vessels had dragged for remains of mammoth, lion, and other land animals, small number of prehistoric tools and weapons. British scientists researchers have started using 4D technology to explore the remains of the area inhabited before sea levels destroyed it over 7,000 years ago. Historians believe the area spanned over 
100,000 square miles and was home to dozens of prehistoric Britons. It was once known as Doggerland. Using 4D technology, researchers will show how dark land was colonized and inhabited before being washed away. Researchers call this area Britain's Atlantis. It's an interesting article. If I can find my Skype again, I'll send you something real quick. Okay. Come on. Go to this site. This is the kind we, we need to share with the, with the listeners because it really enhances what we're talking about. It's actually got some decent pictures of the divers on it and to me, that's grubbing paradise. Yes. Did you get it yet? Yeah, I just I just got to it. I and the first thing you see is somebody grubbing. Oh yeah, and then the, it has a good picture of what it looked like before it got underwater. I like that shot. Oh, it helps make a, more sense of what they're doing. Well, it's a huge land area, and you figure that that would have been fertile. That have been low lying lands. What they don't have in here, and of course they probably haven't been able to figure out, is there would also have been marshes and rivers. Go down. If you scroll that down, you're going to find pictorials of what they anticipate it was with uh, hunter-gatherer people doing just what you just said. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be perfect. Yeah. I still got to find those articles I was reading that uh, through various parts of the of the world when they were uh, in coal mines mm-hmm. and they were chipping coal and they were finding articles embedded into the coal that were millions of years old. Yeah. I've still got to refine that one because that just blows my mind. Because you have no clue. I mean, a million years? Give me a break. You have no idea what was a million years ago. No. And they're finding something that was there 500 millions ago. Well, if you if you look, like what this proves is people like to colonize along the water. I mean, you've got navigation, you've got food, uh, and we've been in this warming trend for a long time. And the this as the sea levels have risen it washes that away i mean you see what storms can do it doesn't take much you can have something you built last week and the storm can take care of it yeah mother mother nature takes over the world cleanses it reduces the population down tremendously Mm -hmm. but there's always somebody left and they start over but this is an interesting article and some of the other pictorials like i just sent you are quite quite interesting yeah and now we have the one the ancient waterfall discovered off Mackinac island shoreline and I've heard this one before, that uh, same uh, research vessel that goes to the Great Lakes has, has talked about this. Yep. Where they think that Lake Michigan and Lake Huron, at one point in time, were just connected by a river. It's an ancient 100-foot waterfall off the shore of Mackinac Island, discovered underwater last week by a crew aboard the training research vessel Pride of Michigan. They came across the 10,000-year-old waterfall while taking soundings in the area. Now, there's not a date on this article, is there? Uh, hang on. Oh, hang on. Oh, 2007. So this, yeah. Uh, 8 2007. So that's why I'd heard about it, because it was past this time. Uh, waterfall is part of an ancient, now submerged river called the Mackinac Channel. It flowed through the strait before uh, the existence of Lake Michigan and Lake Huron. It's not as large as Niagara, but very, very significant waterfall now lying 110 feet beneath the surface of Lake Huron, just off the shore of Mackinac Island. The site shows the water flowed from west to east along the channel before plunging 100 feet from the limestone cliffs. Rounded soundings recorded revealed the cliff and sharp drop in the riverbed. It's a major find for the area, said uh, Captain Clyburn, to be able to come and say, here's a waterfall kind of brings... I named this whole river channel. From researching the area two years ago, Captain Clyburn speculated that rapids and a waterfall might exist. While testing new sounding equipment, his suspicions were of a waterfall confirmed on the readings from the site. We'll be back to do more work in the area now that we've pinpointed the waterfall. 
conjunction with training U.S. Navy Sea Cadets, a ship conducted underwater research is on a mission to learn about and find areas inhabited by cultures 10,000 years ago. And since this, they've, they're the same vessel that found the stumps in Huron. Yep. And they're the same ones that have found uh, uh, caves or like rock formations. Uh, you know, we talked about Stonehenge. They, I don't think they found that one, but they found others similar. Right, and you've got those settlements, the Caribou Trails yes. up in uh, Huron. Again, water level was way, way down. People were everywhere, and that was during the Ice Age, or as the Ice Age was leaving. Yeah, and then here they said uh, while working in Traverse Bay, they uh, discovered a submerged river that connected the two. They also discovered the north sides of Traverse Bay near Norwood is a cert mine that operated, operated 10,000 years ago, the mine... Uh, yielded a form of flint and tools that were found related to its operation. Yeah, and then they said that he's got some wood that he have dated back to 7,000 years ago. said people were sophisticated. They found mines and made a lot of tools. Evidence is leading to an early trade route. That's that's an interesting program. My, my kids weren't that interested in something like this, but it would be amazing to be on it. They said, where else can a 13-year-old kid learn how to operate two diesel engines? <laughs> yeah, the Navy U.S. Naval Sea Corps cadets ranging from 13 to 18 years old they conduct 10 day 10 day archaeological and geology research missions authorized by the Secretary of Navy cadets wear Navy uniforms that are marked with the Sea Cadet insignia very good program and let's see we got mast what do they got going on Marine Archaeological Survey Team. On April 9th and 10th, the Marine Archaeological Survey Team massed in the Great Lakes Historical Society Peachman Lake Erie Research Center, G-L-H-S-P-L-E-S-R-C, will offer two-day workshop featuring seminars and a variety of speakers who will help you understand shipwrecks and their construction. How did you research and survey a shipwreck on Saturday evening? Special presentation will be given by uh, Tamara Thompson, Wisconsin State Underwater Archaeologist, about the recent investigation of the Lakeland. So January, oh, that's, it was posted January 28th, 2016. You can go to the website www.ohiohistory.org. And they Tons of things to do yeah. when you can't dive or don't want to dive. Yeah, archaeology. We need more underwater archaeologists. Well, I'm not sure about that, but... Uh... <laughs> well, I... People who are interested in it. People I, I, who are interested in it. I'm not quite sure we need them in government, though. No, we don't. We don't have the money for it, and there's not that many. I think uh, one of our archaeology friends said that it was considered to be one of the fastest growing industries, but it was because it was so small. So it was like going from 120 to 140. <laughs> you know, it wasn't wasn't that uh, there's that many careers for people graduating from school in that. Yeah, and then here we have. Let's see. What are things that divers would typically be warned about under the waves? Um, don't brush up against something like fire coral. Yes. Without the appropriate protection. Rash. So if you're diving naked, that might be a little bit of a challenge. Yeah, especially in a surge. <laughs> so, I like to comment uh, here. In oceans, big fish fish eat things that dangle. <laughs> <laughs> that should tell you what not to do. That, that's like the quote. That should be the. Let's see what time is it. Uh, I'll have to. I'll have to find that quote. This that that's that's going to be the intro to the show. In the ocean, big fish eat things that dangle. <laughs> 
the big fish eats little fish. <laughs> the little swimming with sharks. Put your fingers out. Looks like food to them. So what are they saying? Don't have thoughts that night things happen? Well, I like the second line you didn't read. While the diver wasn't seriously injured, he did put his hand on it in a hurry. <laughs> <laughs> he also knows of someone who has been repeatedly stung by jellyfish while diving nude near Jamaica, which would be a little less painful if wearing a wetsuit. Even in a concrete Edmonton pool tank, he recommends putting on a T-shirt to avoid chafing. The equipment is nylon and does rub on shoulders and nipples and stuff. <laughs> the only bad thing about the photo, I don't see any other, of the uh, other gender there. No, it seems to be very much a sausage fest. Uh, I just think they didn't do the marketing right. <laughs> they have more people take hits on the site. They rented Schooner Pool to ensure privacy for the scuba class, also holding what organizers call Emily Lamoureux's calls nudie swim. March 12th at the Heartsea Fitness and Leisure Center. It's important, I think, for people who aren't part of the naturalist lifestyle to understand a little bit more about it. 20-year-old, 29-year-old journeyman carpenter says, Naturalism is harmony with nature and a lot more respect for ourselves and others. Families and children are encouraged to take part. Although because someone on Facebook posted fears youngsters might be molested, parents need to bring ID to show they brought their own child. <laughs> <laughs> we just randomly walking around bringing children. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, and then the next line, people are extremely friendly. <laughs> After a while, you just don't realize you're naked. <laughs> uh, as a side note. I, what I did uh, <clears throat> while we were laughing, I sent you a picture of a picture of the rock with the carving of the mastodon. Yes. And a picture of the scan of the area. It does not look like that pictorial that we were shown. No, it doesn't because that definitely was in a hull shape. I'm thinking that people were picking photos from the area. Yeah, that does does not look like the same photo. Well, yeah, I don't think so. I'll reserve my judgment till we actually see something a little bit more verified. Yeah. Okay. Is this a common thing? I mean, I have seen people just for kicks or thrills. Like uh, we've had friends of the show who have done you know, like their hundredth dive nude or something. But I have. I mean, is this a normal thing? What What is normal thing? Diving nude. Well, I mean, is this... jump, you, yeah, jumping nude is another deal. I have some videos. <laughs> <laughs> that are quite entertaining. Not to have a problem with it. I just have a hard time. I mean, I guess if you're a naturalist, you're just looking for things to be able to do natural. Or you're an exhibitionist. Well, that too. That doesn't bother me at all. No sorry, Bob. Show me your tats. Okay. Well, that does it for Scuba the News. We do have some videos. So uh, let's see. Incredible footage of the longest open water scuba dive by a woman. This one was from National Geographic, not National Geographic. Uh, Guinness. Guinness. Guinness Book of World Records. I want to say National Geographic. Why in the heck can I not find that article now? As part of the Put Cantor Under Pressure campaign, she oh, set a federal record, longest open seawater scuba dive female, and an inspirational 51 hours and 25 minutes at La Jolla Shores in San Diego. At La Jolla in San Diego. Oh, okay. Beating the minimum by over an hour. If you're going to do it, I mean, 51, that's a, that's a serious amount of time on the water. And that's not a full face mask. 
Not the one she's showing there. She is in a dry suit. Yeah, that's the minimum you're going to wear. Christy sadly lost her mother, mother to breast cancer a year before, and this is what motivated her to attempt the record title and raise money for the American Cancer Society. Average depth was 22 feet for the whole time. Support team of 30 people. It doesn't sound like a lot of people for that many hours of having to watch somebody on the water. No. No, there's uh, there's a lot of people who put in pretty serious times to help support her. Yeah, it's a lot of people just do not realize the logistics for doing something like this. Okay. You, well, so she said never did she come above 17 feet. Right. So even with the relaxed, even if you're really good on air, at 22 feet, what are you going through, an 80 an hour at least, wouldn't you say? Probably. Yeah, so there you've got 51 tanks just for her, and then you've got her support team. And then you're shuttling it down. I'm always figuring, how are you going to, without a helmet, <laughs> Yes. how are you going to get a couple of minutes of shut-eye? And after two days, i got to take a whiz real bad, especially in the water. 51 hours. That is that is in the realm of where you could just bully through it and stay awake. You look at her face, you can tell she had uh, a mask on. Yeah, not only that, though. I mean, I, I could see doing that with drugs, maybe, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. But you'd have to have some activities that you're going to go freaking bonkers. Yeah. yeah. So congrats to her for a good cause. Glad that they do it to raise money and it's just not for the heck of it. Yeah. And then here we got a video of a boat. Now, this is what you would call a bad dive day. Oh, man. I, I, I love that picture. Somebody's, if nothing else, post this out so they can come and take a look at this guy. Yeah, this is a, this is a gift that somebody's put together. It's a... Uh, Tugboat attempting to tow a Russian carrier in rough seas. It's a Nikolai Checker. Yeah. Yeah, this is not a day I'd want to be playing in the water. No, no. This is, and and the way they've clipped together the GIF, this is, even if you're not somebody who gets seasick, this would this is would be an upcheck express. Did, did you look at the, the first video or the second one under it? I haven't actually watched any of the videos. I've just done the GIF. Uh, is there something I should look at? or? Oh, it's better. If you're looking at the first video, that's nice. The second one's better because okay, it's I'm... taken from the other boat, the aircraft carrier. It is freaking something else. <laughs> I don't know of a place I'd want to be on that boat. Okay, yeah, I do. In the pilot house with my Gumby suit on. And I'm looking at the picture even as we speak of the guys in the pilot house. They're just, da 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 It's amazing. It's a good, it's a good video. It's worth taking a look at. And there's some guys on the deck in the back getting ready to haul the lines in. And the difference is they're not steaming underway trying to get there. They're just trying to hook up. So the boat's just here just bobbing back and forth. Nothing like under power one. That's an interesting shot. Yeah, that is. Yeah, you, 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 they show a close up of the people. They're just sitting there, like, ah, eh, no big deal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we do this all the take time. Take a look at the pictures. Yeah, because here he's traveling to get to the boat, and then the other one shows it. It's not nearly as dramatic when they're getting. Well, I'll take that back. That's freaking awesome. Is that really a Russian aircraft carrier? Yeah, I thought they would have a little bit more modern aircraft carrier. That's kind of the, almost reminds me of the UK design. Well, they always believed in the jump deck. Yeah, yeah because the Great Britain does the same thing. 
And so do the Chinese. They got two carriers. Well, they're the Russian carriers. Well, one's locked inland. Have you ever seen that one? No, I haven't. Yeah, they oh, the practice on there the... because the boat doesn't move when they come back into land, so it's a lot easier. Very interesting. I mean, in a certain aspect, you can see you get a little bit of extra lift from them, but you also limit the, I mean, you, you can only go one way. You can't, yeah. you can't land the other way. Of course, in the U.S., we're doing the cable landings. And then the U.S. does a lot of steam-powered uh, rams, so you sometimes don't need some of that. But and then you got the new one that can come up because they've got the ability to basically do a jump up. Mm-hmm. I like the next one you're going to talk about, too. Yeah, Life-, Life Crew Lasso's Out of Control Speedboat. That is a crazy day there. There's a, If you can visualize a boat going hard to uh, star, uh, starboard at maximum thrust and it's just kind of going around and they lasso, well, they grab the, they lasso the cleat? Well, well I'm where, looking at the guy that looks training, like he gets you right get around the back of the engine. He is just throws that now, looks like over the back engine. I think he was aiming so, for back yeah. of the engine, but it almost looks like where I follow the line that it's on the cleat. Yeah. And how he winked over the gunnel, hopped into the other boat to hit the throttle. Yeah. They made it look easy comparatively what it really was. Well, and there, how many things can go bad? You know that uh, you get a you fall in the water and propeller to the head. Yeah. Well, the funny part is, like I said, the guy took the kill switch off. The who fell? He a man fell overboard from a speedboat, knocked the throttle as he went, leaving the speedboat to spin out of control. He had a kill cord on, but took it off to moor the boat, and uh, that's when that happened. Yeah. Comedy of errors. Well, yeah, but typically, I mean, the uh, most vessels don't have the kill cord anyway, do they? You know, it's only in boats where you anticipate there's a chance you could come off where you have them. You know, all your uh, jet skis have them. Your smaller boats, typically 10 feet or less. This one would not be a boat. I would expect that there would be one of those. Yeah. I don't know, but if you were out in the open sea by yourself and you fell off the boat and the boat kept going, you're screwed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's more for your own protection than anything oh, else. Oh, big time. Well, plus, it, how bad would it be if this happened in the open sea and you get run over by your own boat? Yeah, yeah. Good video, though. It is. And then we've got one of the New York City ship graveyard. Yeah, they're all, I, I think it's interesting. They always want to save this, save that. And you got a sunken ship, and it's like, well, you can't touch it because it's whatever. And look at here. This is garbage. There's all the outcrying. How come you're not saving these damn things? Well, these things were junk in the first place. Well, they were junk when they went on the bottom. Yeah. So the uh, shipwreck. This is off the uh, New York City shipyard, Arthur Kill Shipyard. So sometimes they call it the the Kill Fields or Killed Island. I've heard before. And what had happened is the Arthur Kill Shipyard was never meant to be such a decrepit spectacle. Following the years of World War II, adjacent scrapyard began purchasing scores of outdated vessels, the intention of harvesting for anything of value. But the shipbreakers couldn't keep up with the pace of the influx of boat, especially once people started to use a graveyard as dumping ground for their old dinghy. So what you would do is you had a dinghy you didn't want anymore, you just kind of you know, tie off to one of these other boats where people couldn't see and it would just sink right there. Plenty of ships fell into such disrepair they're no longer worth the effort to strip, especially since many of them had toxic substances, so they've been left to rot. Divides a Staten Island from New Jersey. Okay, what happened? I don't know. I, what 
knowing how Skype works, well, I think maybe that's our clue to start talking about any diving we've done in the last few weeks. Have you had anything that uh, you've been getting wet? I did not dive last week because I went to Chicago for the uh, uh, seminars, aircraft seminars for FAA. Oh, okay. And uh, we've got one scheduled pending cancellation on Sunday, the 7th, at uh, Lake 16. Our ice has not been good, but uh, Kevin's been doing some ferreting operations, found some places that have three inches of ice, uh, but you really, I think, want to have at least four. Yeah, especially with the weather the way it's been. I wouldn't have a lot of confidence. I'm curious if it's honeycombed or not. And uh, right now he's going to get back and say if it's go or no go, we should know tomorrow. But that's going to be for Sunday. I didn't know if you were available Sunday. I think I could make myself available, but if it's not looking good, I mean, if we're not going to have ice, I don't, I'm not going to travel out there. And if we're not having ice, I will probably look for a a river dive. Uh, That sounds good. Uh, Now, did they get a dive in us last week? I know that Bob and Kevin were both thinking about going. I did not see anybody doing any diving. So it must have been people called it. Kind of some odd weather. We're just in that time of year. In Michigan in February, we should have a foot and a half of ice, not. Of constant, but this has been a. This is like we had three years ago, I think. Yes, yes, exactly. But we just don't want to have any fifty degree weather and keep the buds going next month. Oh yeah, because now you really, we really want it to be below freezing for the next month. Otherwise, it impacts the the farmers. Yep, big time. All the fruit, you know, things start to bud too early, and then they get shocked, and it just cuts their yield way down. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, how about we? Do the bad scuba joke. I am waiting for that. That's why I was glad you came back. Okay. Well, we connected, and here we go. A farmer wants to know how many sheep he has in his field, so he asks his border collie to go out and count them. The dog runs in the field, counts them, and runs back to the farmer. The farmer says, how many? The dog says, 40. The farmer's surprised. He says, how can there be 40? I only bought 38. The dog says, well, I rounded up. <laughs> good dog, good dog. Yeah, see, dogs are good for something. Now, what do you feed sheep? What do you feed sheep dogs? I don't know. Babies? Do meat? Well, I, I don't know. What? Yeah, probably some sort of meat. I would think. If I was a dog, that's what I'd want. Yeah, just want to eat sheep. <laughs> <laughs> good. So on that note, go out there and get wet and stay safe. <laughs> <laughs>